are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Saturday, January 29th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're listening to today, then please be sure to go and follow the podcast. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. It'll only take a quick couple of seconds. It'll help me out tremendously, and it's all for free. Wherever you may be listening to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc., it's all absolutely for free. And if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. All right, what's up, everyone? As always, thank you for tuning into another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, your one-stop shop. For all things Chicago Blackhawks, hope everyone is off to a good start to their weekends here so far, and just as a little cherry on top, I decided after missing a bunch of episodes earlier in the month when I was out with COVID, I'm gonna drop a little short episode here on Saturday afternoon as a surprise to all my listeners out there. I appreciate all the support, so I'm trying to keep you all up to date as much as possible, and of course, on the show today, folks, I'll be recapping the Blackhawks 6-4 loss to the Colorado Avalanche last night. A pretty good fight out of the Blackhawks once again, but just came up short to drop all four games against the Avalanche this season. I'll also talk about the top line of Brandon Hagel, Dylan Strome, and Patrick Kane putting together a dominant performance together yet again. And then to finish things up, I'll go over everything from the Blackhawks practice this morning and Kirby Kadok's conversation with the media. All that and plenty more right here on Lockdown Blackhawks. For segment one today, though, folks, let's get into the Blackhawks 6-4 to loss to the Colorado Avalanche last night at the United Center. And I know the final outcome, you know, definitely isn't what the Hawks needed. But for the third time in the last month, they did put up a more than respectable fight against the top team in the entire NHL right now. A Colorado Avalanche team that also just set an NHL record with 14 wins in the month of January. No team has ever recorded four wins in January, 14 wins in January before, excuse me. Uh, And Colorado is also now 31-8-3 on the season. So they're an absolute wagon. There's no other way about it. So uh, for the Blackhawks, you know, to once again be right there down the stretch of the game and to even have a chance. As I said on the show yesterday, that's really all you can ask for against a team like the Avalanche. So overall, you can't really be too mad about the final result here. I mean, the effort level, it was definitely good enough, certainly where it needed to be in particular. During that third period when the Hawks were trying to claw their way back, they rifled a whopping 23 shots on goal in that third period last night. That's the most they've recorded in any period so far this season. And also, their 43 shots on goal total last night uh, is also the most they've recorded in a game as well. So, kind of hard to be mad about the final result being 6-4 to in favor of the Avalanche last night when the Blackhawks had a really strong game, honestly. Um, and we even heard coach Derek King 
himself say after the game, you know, these are the kinds of efforts we're wanting to see against the top teams. Maybe not as strong um, needing to get the first goal, but overall, end-to-end, when facing, you know, the Minnesotas and Colorado and uh, even the games earlier in the month against Vegas and Anaheim, both teams there are currently playoff teams in the Western Conference. So the Hawks have been playing these top teams pretty good and, you know, have been tough on them in the past couple of weeks. And that's, you know, exactly what you want to see out of this group right now. Um, Obviously, you wish that they'd be rattling off more victories, but uh, it's really hard to do that when you're playing against the Colorado Avalanche that just continue to keep finding ways to win. Um, And one thing this all just kind of makes me think about that I definitely wanted to mention on the show today, with what we've seen out of the Blackhawks here under Derek King, um, I truly feel like they're a lot closer to the 15, 12, and 5 record that they have under King than the 16, 21, and 7 team that the standings suggest, right? Like, I think they're a lot better than the record in the standings shows. And, you know, they're they're just simply one of those teams that can beat anyone on any given day and can also lose to anyone on any given day. That's just kind of how the Blackhawks are, but they have undoubtedly been a lot more competitive under Derrick King for the most part since he's taken over. And um, with a 15-12-5 record, that shows you, you know, they can pick up games most nights. They're picking up points 20 uh, in 20 of the 32 games that King has coached. The Hawks have picked up at least one point. That's pretty impressive and, um, you know, certainly a lot better than what we were seeing early on in the year when Jeremy Colleton was still around. So the ability to be competitive. I know it's tough to see it when the team's 16, 21, and 7 and well out of a playoff spot, but I feel like they're actually more similar. They're more comparable to the 15, 12, and 5 record that they have under King. It's just unfortunate that, you know, all that matters is the record that shows in the standings. And because of that, because of the position the Hawks are in right now, you know, they likely have no choice but to be sellers in the next couple of weeks. And ultimately kind of just punt on the season uh, for the good of developing some other players. And it really just sucks how much that dreadful 1-9-2 and two start has come back to bite this team in the butt because 15-12-5, I mean, that would put them in contention if they were able to be right there around that 500 mark. So uh, it's frustrating that such a terrible start is really costing this Blackhawks team because they're not really good enough to string it, string together consecutive victories, especially when going against some of the top teams in the NHL. Uh, but getting into this game last night with the Avalanche, um, it was kind of eerily similar how the opening uh, 30 minutes of this game was to the one on Monday night out in Denver. They were really close because um, in the first period, once again, I said it was going to be key for the Hawks to come out with a pretty good start. They answered the bell. And just anytime you don't fall behind to Colorado after 20 minutes, that that pretty much feels like the Blackhawks were winning, you know, at that point. Heading into the intermission with the score remaining, nothing, nothing. That feels like a win for the Blackhawks. You'll take that every time. Uh, So it it was a pretty good start once again from the Hawks. The only disappointing part, I will say, was that um, Mackenzie Entwistle was able to draw two penalties in that first period, and the Hawks' power play wasn't able to capitalize on either opportunity. That was kind of the only disappointing part to me about the the opening 20 minutes from the Blackhawks. But again, you can't complain too much 
about being knotted up, nothing, nothing with the Avs at the end of the first. Um, and of course, you know, that was the case back on Monday as well. Nothing, nothing after the first. The Hawks were able to keep the game scoreless on both occasions. But in the second period, just like Monday's game also, after uh, a bad penalty by Calvin DeHaan for delay a game just 12 seconds in, Colorado went on to take advantage on the power play to grab a one nothing lead. Gabriel Landeskog blistered a one-timer over Fleury's shoulder. No chance for him there. And that gave the Avs a one nothing lead early on in the second period. And I talked about how the first goal... The Blackhawks wanted to win this game. I really felt like they needed to get that first goal. And now all four times where these two teams have met this season, this was the final meeting between the Blackhawks and Avalanche this year. But all four times they met, the Avalanche were able to score the opening goal of the game. So that definitely did not turn out to be a recipe for success from the Blackhawks. And that's going to have to be something they work on when they square off against the Avs once again next season. Um, but after that goal from Landis Cog, I actually w- was impressed because the Hawks responded fairly well, I thought, in the next few minutes. They didn't get rattled. They didn't let momentum completely shift in Colorado's favor after that. They didn't look deflated. And the game actually started to get a little chippy on both sides. Um, Brandon Hagel and JT Comfer, the hometown kid, got into a fight. There was also a, a big hit by Murphy on Rantanen. And, you know, the Hawks were, were kind of feeding into that. They had some energy. Brandon Hagel was pumping up the crowd as he was walking to the penalty box after fighting Comfer. And at one point, right around the midway point of the game, actually, the Hawks were ahead 17-9 to in shots on goal and were only trailing by one to nothing. So, again, right there against the Avalanche. They had a good opportunity in those first 30 minutes to get on the board, couldn't find a way to beat Franco's, and then... In the final few minutes of the second, that's when things kind of finally began to swing into Colorado's favor. And I feel like this was really the stretch that wound up making a difference in the game because not only late in the second period did um, JT Comfer wind up doubling the lead after some shoddy defense in front by the Hawks, a lot of puck watching going on. But then with nine seconds left in the period, Patrick Kane also took a hooking penalty, which gave Colorado a power play to open up the third period and then what do you know after the second intermission the Hawks aren't able to get the kill they desperately needed Landis Cog gets his second of the game after kind of a lucky bounce also the second power play goal of the game for the Avs though um, Blackhawks PK just continues to crush them against Colorado this season and that put them down three to nothing and once you fall behind like that to this kind of avalanche team it's already an even tougher task than it was in the first place when it was nothing, nothing. I mean, clawing back from three to nothing against Colorado, that seemed nearly impossible. That goal by Lannis Cog felt like it was going to be the dagger in the Blackhawks, but I got to give them a lot of credit for all the fight and the, the scrap that they showed in those final 18 to 19 minutes of, of regulation. And they managed to make this one close a couple of different times. Um, right after Colorado took a 3-0 lead, Brandon Hagel and Patrick Kane struck twice in 40 seconds to cut Colorado's lead to 3-2, and all of a sudden, it was like, holy crap, where did this come from? Like, we couldn't, we didn't beat Franco's once on Monday, he had an 100-minute shutout streak going against the Blackhawks, and then, of course, they scored twice within a minute to get themselves right back into the game. But the real backbreaker for the Hawks, I thought, too, not only falling down 3 to nothing, but right after getting those two goals to get yourself back in it. 30 seconds later, 
Colorado goes on in transition and gets a goal after a great feed from Kadri to find Newhook in front of the net. The Blackhawks had the lead down to 3-2 to two with plenty of time to go. But once it got back to 4-2, to two, I mean, I wasn't very confident that they were going to be able to climb that mountain once again. Kane and Gustafson did both go on to score late to make things interesting. The Hawks got a goal with Marc-Andre Fleury off for the extra attacker, but the third period comeback came up just a little bit short. The Avs wound up scoring two empty netters and managed to hold on by a score of 6-4 to four to sweep the season series against the Chicago Blackhawks. All right, there is my recap of the Blackhawks. Crushing defeat to the Colorado Avalanche last night, despite playing pretty darn well once again. Coming up in just a moment, I am going to go over a few other takeaways that I had from the game, as well as the top line of Brandon Hagel, Dylan Strome, and Patrick Kane remaining dominant. But first, I need to talk to you all about betonline.ag. BetOnline has you covered all season long on more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football season in the NFL continues to march towards the conference championships. We're just one day away, folks, and BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action here in 2022. Head on over to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today, and you'll also receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You just got to use our exclusive promo code, Locked on, that's one word in all caps to receive your 50% welcome bonus. From basketball to football, the NHL, boxing and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Sign up today and you'll also receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You just got to use our exclusive promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word in all caps, to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game begins. All right, we're back here on Lockdown Blackhawks, getting into segment two now for the show today. I also wanted to be sure to get into a couple of other key takeaways that I had from last night's game. And I have to start out with the dominant performance from the Blackhawks top line of Brandon Hagel, Dylan Strome, and Patrick Kane. And even early on in the contest when the Hawks couldn't find a way to beat Franco's, this trio clearly had it going on. They were clicking on and rolling on all cylinders, moving the puck well in the offensive zone. They were getting a ton of quality scoring chances. So eventually, once they did find the net, it wasn't all that surprising to see what they were able to do in the third period because really, they had been moving the puck like that throughout the entire way so far. Just Franco's was able to gobble up all their chances prior to that. But Hagel was the one who kicked off the scoring for the Blackhawks to cut the deficit to 3-1. to one. A beautiful redirect out in front of the net. But that play wouldn't have happened if it weren't for the fight by Dylan Strom along the boards. Go back and watch the replay. Stromer wins a puck battle nicely moves the puck back to the point to Connor Murphy. Great work done there by Strom. Murphy's shot winds up getting redirected by Hagel in front. Great net front presence as well by Hagel. And that's what wound up leading to the Blackhawks opening goal of the game. Just a simple 
hard-working play. Strom wins a battle. You make the easy play in front of you. Get it back to the point. And good things happen when you put the puck on net and you got traffic there. So a great play all around by those three. But it wouldn't have been created without Dylan Strom winning that battle. And then on Kane's second goal of the game, later on in the period, Strom once again was the one who won a couple of board battles down low, ends up making also a perfect pass out front to find Kaner, some great patience shown by number 88, to wait for the yawning cage, and that cut the Blackhawks' deficit to just one once again with six minutes to go there in the third period. And again, it wouldn't have happened without the great work down low by Dylan Strom. Winning board battles, using the size that he has to his advantage, a tenacious stick, Good things happen when you're working hard. Dylan Strom's shown us that as of late. He adds two more apples last night, and that now gives him 11 points, four goals, and seven assists in his last nine games. Number 17 for the Blackhawks is rolling right now. Patrick Kane also added two goals to help snap a mini five-game goaling drought that he was go- that he was going through. Also add an assist later on as well, and that now gives him. 11 goals and 30 assists for 41 points in 40 games this season. Everyone's been talking about a slump in Patrick Kane, but he's still a point-per-game guy despite having a career-low shooting percentage, despite the Blackhawks' offensive struggles throughout the course of the season. Number 88 still usually finds a way to get his name on the stat sheet more times than not. And then for Brandon Hagel, by the way, he was originally given credit for that fourth goal of the game by the Blackhawks. It was his second of the night as well. They cut the deficit down to one for the third time in the third period. Uh, But that goal has now actually been credited to defenseman Eric Gustafson. So this was no longer a two-goal game for Hagel. He's still back down to 12 goals on the year. But it was still a two-point night. He got an assist on that goal instead of the one who got credit for the tuck. But a goal and an assist last night for the bagel, that now gives him eight points in his last eight games as well. So this top line of Hagel, Strom, and Kane, they're just absolutely cooking right now. They were definitely the best of the bunch for Derek King. Um, And no need at all here to be changing it up going forward because these three guys have shown some great chemistry and really are the three guys who have been able to produce on a consistent basis for the Blackhawks in the past few weeks. I am curious, though, how this play from Dylan Strome recently is going to affect the Blackhawks' plans for him as we close in on the trade deadline. Less than two months away now, folks. And of course, the latest news we heard on Strom is that he still is on the trading block. No surprise there. That's kind of been the word for the past two years now. Uh, But still, nothing has come of it yet. It seems like whatever the Blackhawks' asking price may be, no other NHL team is really wanting to risk giving up assets to take on that $3.5 million cap hit that Strom carries throughout the end of this year when he has been someone who has bounced in and out of the lineup. I think from an outside perspective, you're not really getting the full picture on really how good of a year Strom is having. He's just been misused by the coaching staff, particularly early on when Jeremy Colleton was still here. So I, I am curious to see, you know, if there are going to be more interested buyers or if the Blackhawks are going to be uh, a little bit more hesitant. I'm not really sure how this is going to affect it. Um, but honestly, for me, I personally would be waiting to see 
how Strom's going to continue playing. Listen to the offers right now if they're, you know, if the Blackhawks are wanting to move on from him and his stock is higher than it's ever been, if other teams are willing to give that extra little bit that they haven't been in the past, if now's the time, you know, I, I would understand why, because the ceiling may not ever be higher with Strom playing a great top-line center role right now. Um, but at the same point, I think the Blackhawks got to consider being patient because one thing to keep in mind that I think all of us forget about sometimes with everything that's gone on, but Dylan Strom has been the Blackhawks' best center so far this season. Which is also a position they don't have a ton of depth at in the organization right now with the prospects in the system. They're not flourishing with centers in the pipelines by any source of the imagination. And with Jonathan Taze, you know, obviously is in concussion protocol right now, by the way, still not much of an update on Taze's status this morning at practice. Um, But with the offensive production certainly not being what anyone had hoped for out of the captain in his return so far this season, with him not getting any younger, with that contract expiring at the end of next season, and also with Kirby Doc, you know, still kind of figuring things out at the NHL level and kind of, uh, we still aren't exactly sure what type of player he's going to be for the Hawks going forward. Um, so with those kind of situations going on at the center position and Strom being the one who finds himself consistently in a top line role, the Blackhawks haven't had a consistent top line center all season long. Now they finally got it in Strom. He's been their best center this season. I know most of you know, I've always been a Strom guy, but to me, I just don't really see how you expect to get better by trading your best center this season when he's probably only going to snatch a third-round pick or maybe a second if we get lucky somehow. Um, But adding by subtracting in this situation, given the Blackhawks' center depth and how it's looking as a whole, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Unless the offer is so good that you can't say no, which probably seems like it's not going to be the situation here with Dylan Strome, but who knows. Unless that's the case, I just personally would not want to be trading our best lo- our best center at the moment, our top-line center. The only guy who's been able to stay there. Kane's had a revolving door of centers throughout the season. Taze, Borgstrom, Doc. Strom's the only one who's stuck there and has actually looked the part. And I know the front office may be looking at the situation differently, but with what we've seen here from Strom finally being in a consistent top six role alongside players that he needs to play with. We've been screeching this from the heavens all year long. I wonder if he's shown enough to be considered a piece of the future in the front office's mind. And without a doubt, he certainly has not been the issue with the Blackhawks this season. So I'm curious to see how the front office is going to assess this up tick in production from Strom as of late and how it's going to affect his status as I said with the trade deadline now being less than two months away also folks one other guy for the Blackhawks I have to talk about who had a really strong game last night I mentioned him mentioned him a little bit earlier already but Eric Gustafson man was incredible on the offensive end for the Blackhawks last night and I know I know I know I dump on Gustafson as much as anybody because of his defense, or the lack of defense, I should say. It's never going to be a strong point of his. We all know this. 
But now, in his last eight games since returning from COVID protocol, Gustafson has recorded one goal and six assists for seven points in those eight games. He's been finding ways to produce consistently from the back end recently, and that is always much needed and very welcomed for the struggling offense. And, you know, with no one really aside from Seth Jones and Riley Stillman before he got hurt, being able to consistently help this offense out on the blue line, despite what Eric Gustafson may lack in the defensive zone, it's almost like this team really does need to keep playing him. And it's frustrating because you're going to get those nights where he's an absolute bot in the defensive zone and looks completely lost out there, and he's going to cost you. That's just how it is. But at the same time, when you're down 3 to nothing in the third period, he has the offensive abilities to jump up into the play and make a difference. And we saw that on a couple of different occasions last night. The give-and-go that he had with Patrick Kane was beautiful. A great pass there that Kaner was able to redirect home. Uh, and then Gustafson gets himself into that mad scramble in front of the net. I don't know if that was he was given credit because he was the one who shot it or, or what, but it was his play that made it there. Took a lucky bounce, but without Gustafson, that doesn't happen. And going and looking at his analytics from last night, at even strength, I mean, he was by far the best Blackhawk in this sense of the matter. He may not have been better than Patrick Kane, may not have been better than Dylan Strome, Brandon Hagel, but every time he was on the ice, the Blackhawks were putting pressure on in the offensive zone and didn't spend a whole lot of time defending. Taking a look at the numbers here, Gustafson was on the ice for 17 shots on goal four to just five against at even strength. He was also on the ice for 11 scoring chances for to only four against, four high danger chances for to zero against, and four goals for to zero against. I mean, that might be the best night of Eric Gustafson's career in terms of analytics. That's actually insane. He was dominant. Every time he was on the ice, the Blackhawks were basically in the offensive zone. In terms of Corsi, he was on the ice for 25 shot attempts for to 10 against. And as someone who has ripped Gustafson apart numerous times here on the podcast and on my Twitter account, I owe Gustafson a tip of the cap. Kudos to Eric Gustafson for being able to chip in consistently as of late and find finding his game here recently. Continuing to perform well on the offensive side of things. He's got seven points in his last eight games. That's been much needed uh, from the Blackhawks back end. So I got to admit, I got to give credit where credit is to due. Excuse me, a big tip of the cap to Eric Gustafson for having another strong game last night against the Colorado Avalanche. All right, there are the couple of other takeaways that I had to be sure to mention from last night's loss to Colorado. Coming up in just a minute, I'll go over everything that took place at practice this morning as well as Kirby Doc's interesting conversation that he had with the media. Welcome back to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Getting into segment three here today, before I let you all go, enjoy the rest of your weekends. I also wanted to be sure to mention everything that took place at practice for the Blackhawks this morning at Fifth Third Arena. First, both forwards, Tyler Johnson and Reese Johnson, both of which have been on long-term injured reserve together for quite some time now, uh, but both guys were seen on the ice here this morning for practice. And for Tyler, he was actually not wearing the all-white, 
no contact sweater during practice this morning for the first time. Um, and it looked like he may have been ready to take full participation in all the drills, all the uh, contact drills, and he was ready to hop in for everything. But once the Hawks <clears throat> did start getting into those contact drills, Tyler Johnson eventually went off to the side and started working started working on other things. So not quite ready just yet to get back in there for some contact. Um, but we've seen him on the ice for the past month or so now, skating with his teammates, getting ready, getting his legs at least back in shape a little bit. Uh, and it looks like in the next couple of weeks here, he's probably going to start ramping things up and is expected to rejoin the Hawks lineup sometime near the end of February or in early March. And as for Reese Johnson, again, no relation between these two Johnsons for the Blackhawks. Um, but this was actually the first time that Reese has been on the ice since suffering a broken clavicle back on December 11th against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So nearly two months ago now that Reese has been off the ice. And uh, when that injury occurred, King himself even admitted that he had some doubts as to whether or not Johnson was ape was going to be able to return here uh for the for some part of the regular season but fortunately seems like he is going to be able to rejoin the team at some point he was back on the ice as i said for the first time earlier this morning obviously no contacts going on or anything there just yet just getting a little bit warmed up and getting back getting his skates back on and throwing some of the gear on and you know it always feels good for your mental state and for understanding you've cleared a big hurdle in your recovery process so a big step there in the right direction for Reese Johnson as well Uh, his timeline is obviously going to be a little bit longer than Tyler's is but I do also think we're going to see Reese Johnson back at the NHL level at some point this season probably if I had to guess uh, in either late March or early April The last bit of news that I wanted to mention from practice this morning uh, is that Kirby Doc spoke with the media following the session, and he told them that at the start of the new year, at the end of December, he had deleted both Instagram and Twitter off of his phone because of all the negativity that he has dealt with recently, and also just get away from having as much screen time in his life, which I think we all can relate to. We all probably need less screen time in our lives. Um, But I thought this was an interesting statement from Doc. It told me a couple of different things. One, it told me that Doc has kind of been affected a little bit by the outside noise that's uh, surrounding his development. And a place like Twitter, I mean, it it can be harsh. It can be brutal, especially for a young kid like Kirby who You know, it's tough for these young kids to not be on social media when all their friends are. That's what's going on in the world. Everyone their age is on these sites. It's natural, right? But it could be a dangerous place for, uh, you know, a, a young kid like Kirby who may feel like he's kind of got the weight of the world on his shoulders here, or the weight of Chicago on his shoulders, I guess I could say, um, because, you know, Blackhawks fans, I, I, I felt it. They can be ruthless. And, you know, I can't even tell you how many people I've seen in my comments or people who have messaged, messaged me saying, oh, Kirby Doc is a bust, this and that, what a bad pick, yada, yada, yada. And I just find all of that to be completely absurd for a kid who's he just turned 21 years old not even a month ago. Like, 
it's crazy what people are willing to say. People who are, you know, sitting back on their couch being armchair GMs can think they can say whatever they want because there's no face to what you're saying. It's all behind a screen. Calling 21-year-olds bus, attacking 20, 21-year-old kids on the internet. Like, what? I find, I find that so crazy. And uh, I'm just so sick of all the negativity out there, especially for a kid who we should want to be helping. We want this kid to be the future of our organization. Are we really going to bash him on the internet? Is that going to help anything? Right? Like, if anything, we should be more supportive of Kirby through these tough times because it's clearly affecting him. We've heard this now. The statement that Kirby made today tells me he's heard the noise out there. And I've talked about it on the show. I've wondered about his confidence and wondered where his head is at all season long because, you know, even when I go to practice, it just looks like a kid who's going through the motions. He doesn't. I'm not saying he doesn't want to be out there, but to me, you know, I'm also 50 feet away. I'm not standing right next to Kirby, but from my perspective, I'm not seeing seeing him smile a whole lot. It just doesn't look like he's having a lot of fun for a kid who's 20, 21 years old and already in the NHL. Again, I I like feel like he has he feels like he has all this weight on his shoulders right now and he's just frustrated with how the situation has gone, how his development has gone, how the offensive numbers have not been there this season, and he's hearing about it. So, to hear him say, to hear him tell the media, tell the public, that he's deleted those social media act, social media apps, it does tell me that, you know, these things have had an effect on Kirby. And I love the honesty from him. This is exactly what we should want from hockey players. And if, I saw people out there ridicule, not only do we have a 21-year-old who's not physically tough, he's not mentally tough. Are you kidding me? We ask for hockey players to not be robots. Kirby Dot comes out here, speaks his mind, tells you about what he's honestly doing in his life to try to get better, and you're going to ridicule him for that? That's the kind of sick and dark place that Twitter is, and, you know, I'm glad, I'm happy for Kirby that he made this decision. It also tells me that he's committed to doing anything it takes to become the best hockey player he can possibly be. And he knows the situation that he's in. He even said it this morning. He knows the goals and the assists, the points. It's not where he had hoped they would be right now. But he also follows that up by saying, you know, for being such a young kid, he's taken pride on how good he already is on the defensive side of things. And that's something we lose perspective on too. You take the kid number three overall, you want him to be a point-per-game stud already when he's a teenager. Like, I know he's 21 now, but he's still very young in terms of how his NHL progression has gone. And also, the Blackhawks' offensive struggles as a whole certainly have not helped his case. So, to hear Kirby being willing, be willing to take these kind of action, he knows the hate's out there. He doesn't need it in his life. And he said he's felt the difference. He knows that people out there want him to be the stud offensive player, but he's taken pride in the things he's doing well already at such a young age. We can't lose sight of that. Kirby Doc is already a tremendously responsible defensive forward, and he's just turning 21. He's only 21 years old. You're going to tell me you don't believe his offensive game can come around? Why not? The things we saw out of this kid at 19... 
I think he can turn it around, and I think we all should have more sympathy for the situation that Kirby's going through. This is a young kid who we're asking a lot of. And for him to open up this way to the media, to the public, and tell you how he's feeling, I think that's important. Tells you what kind of kid Kirby is. Tells you he's open and honest. He knows. He hears everything. But he's going to work. And that's what you want to hear. That's the exact type of stuff you want to be you want to be hearing from a kid who you're counting on to be a difference maker going forward for the next, you know, hopefully 10 years here in Chicago and longer. So I was just very impressed to hear Kirby speak honestly about this situation with the media this morning. And uh, hopefully, you know, he can get away from all that negativity, get his head in the right spot and really put together a strong second half here to shut up some of those critics out there on the internet and prove everybody wrong and be a valuable piece of the Chicago Blackhawks future going forward. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that will wrap up Saturday, January 29th episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show and be sure to go and follow the Locked On Blackhawks podcast for free right now on your favorite podcast app and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Bets podcast, which is hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You can get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and even Lee Sterling's lock of the day by just simply following the Lockdown Bets podcast. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to check out Lockdown Bets right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account, at Jack Bushman 2 or you can also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account, at Talk and Hockey, for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, you can always email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. Next episode is going to be Mailbag Monday, so feel free to reach out. You can also hit me on any one of my Twitter accounts, Or you can also call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until Monday's episode, thanks again for listening to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.